Alright, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless your name this morning and as always because you are worthy of blessing. We humble yourself on account of Christ, on account of what he has done for us. And we thank you that your spirit has put in us that understanding that has brought us to the knowledge of who we are as sinners, conviction of our sinfulness and also conviction of the righteousness of Christ and the truth of who he is and what he has done for us. We thank you for this moment that you shall speak to us by your word and by your spirit. May you help me to speak faithfully and help your people to hear that which is true and faithful. Remember all your people who are going through all kinds of situations, suffering, pain, bereavement. Lord, be with them, the saints who are in the hospital, the saints who have all manner of infirmities, even spiritual infirmities. Be with them this morning, this day, and grant them strength. We honor you, we glorify you, and in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again, one and all. We are in Hebrews 11 and Genesis 8.10. But we won't come to this until almost at the very end of the message. Hebrews 11, 8 to 12, and then we'll go to Genesis 8.10. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And go to Genesis 18 for the telling of the same account, the original telling of the story. Genesis 18 verses 9 to 15. And remember, this would be when the three men, the three angels came to Abraham and Sarah's house. Then they say to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure 
my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And that is the word of the Lord. For our title, we have two titles to our message. The Gospel and Regeneration. The Gospel and Regeneration. The number two title, Sarah's Womb and Regeneration. Sarah's Womb and Regeneration. And good morning again to one and all, especially those who are joining us. I pray that you are well in your particular context. And I pray that the Lord will bless you with the hearing of his message. This morning I wish to speak and hopefully clearly and faithfully to the matter of regeneration. And there's no way to be exhaustive of any subject that relates to God and Christ. But I think the scriptures have given us enough data that we may work with to have a more faithful and reasonable understanding of the matter of this doctrine because it is very important doctrine. And wherever there is a doctrine that relates to salvation, there is always bound to be controversy around it. And I will not shy away from any controversy relating to the person and work of Christ just to be acceptable to people. Because this is what I was conscripted by Christ to do, to bring the offense of the gospel. I was not looking for preaching. I was not looking to be a Christian. <laughs> this was the last thing in my mind to do. I was happy with my life as it was. So this was imposed on me, so I have to declare that which has been given me. Guys, I need you to be coming back. Now to the matter of the doctrine. My intention is to define what it is. Who causes regeneration? In other words, by what means and also the necessity of it. And to build the flaw of the understanding, we have to begin with the definition of regeneration and then immediately follow it with its necessity which, of course, is founded in the nature of man after Adam as God has described it. Okay. So to the matter of definition, regeneration is the theological term that describes the giving of spiritual life to spiritually dead sinners and enabling them 
to hear the words of God, to receive the words of God in a way that is agreeable with God's own communication. God's communication in respect of the person and work of Christ Jesus. So regeneration has its end, the person of Christ and what he did. That is what it is designed to cause in us, to give us understanding of what that is all about. So the person of Christ and his way of doing salvation, his way of doing salvation, because many do hear the words of God, but only in a physical sense of hearing, but they do not hear what God is actually speaking, what it actually means. They have no understanding of it, and thus they cannot be profited by it. In other words, they are not made wise unto salvation, as the book of Hebrews would say, being made wise unto salvation. But why is that? And for that we'll go to First Corinthians 2, 9 to 14. First Corinthians 2, 9 to 14. Paul says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The thing that God has prepared for those who love him, Paul says, no human eye has seen, no ear had, because they are beyond the power of the naked eye to see and the unaided ear to hear and that to say to believe and receive or receive and believe. And that does not mean that one can improve their chances of hearing or of seeing if they go up a mountain, go on a mountain like Mount Rushmore with a telescope and some hearing aids, that is not how you're going to improve your ability to hear or see. This is describing to us the spiritual condition of all men and women born after Adam that they naturally have no ability in themselves to rise above themselves by the strength of their own power of will or strength of learning to understand these spiritual realities, these spiritual matters. Let us keep reading and hear what Paul meant by all this. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. See the but there. But he's saying on the contrary. On the contrary, God has revealed these hidden things, these inaccessible things to us. To us who are the saints, the redeemed through the agency of his spirit. 
So you see that the Spirit of God is the agency of revelation and illumination of things Christ. But why is the Spirit eminently qualified to reveal these hidden things? Second part of verse 10 says, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So the Spirit searches all things. He is able, as God, to search all things, even the very deep things in the mind of God. So this kind of searching only happens by God and apart from His Spirit, it is impossible to search anything relating to God and Christ and come out with a profitable search. It will be an exercise of groping in the dark, searching in vain. Do you see that God is saying, the matter of revelation of himself, of Christ, of the truth, of the gospel, because the gospel contains all this. The gospel contains what is to be known about God as he would have us to know and understand here and now. This matter is 100% the work of God's spirit. Which means what? Which means in the matter of the truth of God, there's no human agency that causes understanding to another human being apart from the mediation, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to mediate any communication of truth. Whether from me to you or you to me, if the Holy Spirit is absent, there's no communication of truth. So the the preacher needs the Holy Spirit to search for the deep things as does the hearer. We are both 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit to understand anything that relates to Christ. So the Spirit alone is the cause of understanding. And with that I'll say the most wonderful sermon is the one that the Holy Spirit gives you the most understanding or interest in. It is not because you slept well that you are hearing better. <laughs> there are plenty other very wonderful sermons, but they do go over people's heads because the Holy Spirit did not make them effectual to our hearing. And so the Lord Jesus had already spoken to this matter also, the matter of revelation and the matter of the Spirit before his death on the cross. This is what he said. Let's go to John 16, 12 to 15. The Lord said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I have so many things to teach you, the Lord said. But you cannot bear them. In other words, 
they will be unprofitable to you in this state of unregeneracy. But when and how then will they be able to hear them, obey them? Verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The Lord said the Holy Spirit will guide you. All of the elect will be guided and are guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. And in that he witnesses of what he hears from the Father and the Son. But what will be the context of what he teaches? What is the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth given to teach. Is it about people's marriages and jobs and financial well-being? Let's hear from Jesus. Verse 14. He will glorify me for he will take off what is mine and declare it to you. He will take that which is of Christ and declare that to you all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Right there also we have the Trinitarian teaching of the Godhead. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Spirit. And people say, oh, there's no teaching of the Trinity. No, you're not paying attention to the text. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit who declare to Christ's people those things which are of Christ. He glorifies Christ. He does not talk about himself and he has not suffered self-esteem issues in that he only witnesses of Christ. The Holy Spirit has no problem talking about Jesus over and over and over and over. He does not go on the opera show, <laughs> Dr. Phil, and Deepak Chopra, both that the trinity of self-esteem issues, to have his self-esteem boosted. So, the teaching of the Lord Jesus is consistent with the teaching of Paul with regards to the work of the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is he who presides over the matter of revelation, of illumination, and the teaching of the things of Christ. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll pick up from verse 11. Paul continues and says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? What man knows the thoughts of another person? Even if we say, look me in the eye and tell me the truth. As people are fond to say, you're still not going to get everything there is to know. <laughs> so even under oath, politicians still lie. 
with your hand on the Bible and still be lying. So there's no man who knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. In other words, only you know you. And Paul here is arguing from the lesser to the greater. The lesser is what happens with the man and his spirit or her spirit. And then he says, now that you know this basic truth, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So he works from the understanding of where we are as human beings and then says, okay, now that you know that truth, let's take it a notch further, higher. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Absolutely no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Therefore, one cannot study themselves into the knowledge of the things of God. And the things of God here in this particular context is in reference to Christ and the gospel, because that's the discussion. So how then did you and I come to the knowledge of the things of God, to the person and work of Christ, as to lay hold of it by faith and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I've staked my eternity on his person and what he did. First call of First Corinthians 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now we have received. The we are the redeemed. Only the redeemed have received the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Paul says there is the Spirit of the world. We did not receive the Spirit of the world. The Spirit that energizes unbelief and rebellion in everyone who is not indwelt by the Spirit of God. And then Paul makes a distinction and says there is the Spirit from God and the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is given to those who love God, chosen and redeemed. The Spirit of God is not given to those who are righteous in themselves. It doesn't say that. Or those who have stopped sinning. It's those who love God. Chosen and redeemed. And that for a reason. To do what? That we may know the things that have been freely given us by God. And what are those things in view that God has freely given us. God has given, already given, some things. What are they? It is Christ and his salvation, his righteousness, his life, which is by grace alone, otherwise it is not free. 
So to that, any gospel testimony that does not bear witness to the freeness of God's gift is not a testimony of the Spirit of God. Because a lot of preachers who tend to want to go back to behavior modification and then they stop talking about the freeness of the gift. It's free. It's unconditional. That is what the Spirit testifies of. Let's go to verse 18. Paul continues still in First Corinthians 2. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. These things, Paul says, this Christ and his message which we speak about, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual spiritual truths, are the message contained in God's wisdom that is found in the gospel. God's wisdom, which is foolishness to man, is contained in the gospel message. In other words, the gospel is only taught by the Spirit of God and is communicated in a spiritual sense. That is why even as we read the Old Testament, we cannot read it without a spiritual understanding and application of it. It cannot be read just as regular stories, regular bedtime stories. If you do that, the Holy Spirit does not help you. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit touches a text anywhere in the Bible, he must bear witness of Christ. He must teach Christ. But then Paul says, we have the natural man. What about the natural man? Verse 14. But the natural man, in contrast to the spiritual man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is one who has not been born of God. They can be very educated natural men. They could even be a professor of theology at a seminary and still be a natural man. The natural man is he or she who is not indwelt by the Spirit of God. They have no ability in them or in themselves to discern, that is to understand and to receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness to them. The gospel is foolishness to him. The gospel that speaks of salvation being freely given by God is foolishness to the unregenerate mind. But the natural man has an opinion. They have an attitude. They have a reaction 
to spiritual matters when they hear them. They are not neutral to the message that God brings. There's no person who is neutral to the message of God. They have an opinion. Their conclusion is, that's foolishness. It's foolishness. How can a man be called righteous who is a sinner? That is their way of thinking. And is not morally getting better. How can that person be a righteous person before God? That is foolishness. And how can my works not count for my righteousness? The natural man, though religious and highly moral, is ignorant of that which recommends a sinner to God. They are ignorant of it. So they will not submit to God's righteousness, as Paul will later teach in the book of Romans chapter 10. They are ignorant of God's righteousness, so they will not submit to his righteousness, but instead they go about establishing their own righteousness. That's the natural man. And that is the natural spiritual condition of all who are born in Adam or born of a woman. They are born as natural men and women. There is the Lady Gaga born this way testimony. And for her, it is the testimony of the sinfulness of men after Romans 1 country of men and women exchanging the natural use of the body to that which is against nature, that's Paul's argument, which thing God calls vile passions. So when Lady Gaga says, born this way, she does not mean born this way as a sinner condemned, as a sinner with no righteousness. And there's something bad about this. I have to find a way out of my condemnation if I could. It is not born this way. Woe is me, for I am undone. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's not her born this way understanding. She means born this way. God, leave me alone. Do not condemn me for it, for this is natural to me. Yeah, that's what she means. And that's what the word means by, oh, I'm born this way. But that's not the totality of the story. But Paul comes and says this. Let's go all to Romans 3, 9 to 18. Romans 3, 9 to 18. Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? Are we better than Lady Gaga and company? Not at all. <laughs> For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So everyone is in the same condition naturally before God. 
As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You're going to get caught in one of those verses. If you miss one verse, you're going to be found in the next one. So are we better than Lady Gaga, Madonna and company? No, Paul says we were all under sin. And that sin left us with no capacity, with no understanding, with no ears, with no will, with no strength to do right, to come to God, to receive Christ. So how then did you and me come out of that testimony in Romans 3, 10 to 18, and to sit under the gospel and love it and hear it, understand and rejoice in it and say, God is my salvation. How do you get from Romans 3 to where you are today? Many things have happened and one of the things that has happened is regeneration. You needed to be given spiritual life. You needed to be raised from the deadness of your sins and trespasses. God had to come. He had to make the move and fit you and me with spiritual antennas as if you were a TV or radio so as to enable you to receive signals. For a radio is the AM and FM channels, but for the gospel we receive the truth of Christ. The radio antenna in your car has to be installed by the manufacturer. They made it. They know how it works. And how it works together with the whole. Your direct TV dish or satellite dish or time when a cable has a cable guy who comes to your house and installs the dish outside of the house and the receiver because without this you cannot receive the broadcast you cannot receive the signals now 
the receiver that is connected to your TV needs power to be supplied. Otherwise, again, it will not work. Also, there must be a paid subscription for you to be able to receive the channels. So all these things installed without a paid subscription is still going to receive nothing. And if you do not pay, they cut you off. So what, I, what am I saying in the matter of the gospel? The equipment that sinners need to hear is wholly supplied by someone. And is it man or is it God? Is man, any man, able to help you in this regard? Or is it God? Because man did not make man. God is he who made man. And God is he who knows what to install. When to install. And where to install the spiritual equipment that enables a sinner to hear the gospel. And God does not install the equipment in all men. In other words, he does not regenerate all men. He regenerates only those for whom the payment of sin was already made. Those whom Christ already justified on the cross are they that God brings to life. So in regeneration, God is not installing some physical microchip in those that he serves. That is not the point. This is just more an illustration. The point is, something must be done to a spiritually dead person to bring them out of that deadness to spiritual life. And the question being, who does it? Because people have different opinions about it. And that's why we are having the message. Who is he who brings sinners back to spiritual life? Is it God? Is it man or woman herself? Is it the preacher and his sermon? Or is it God with the help of the preacher? Because these are all scenarios that you find in the professing church world. Man helping God. Or even man causing regeneration. Who is fit to do this? John 1, 11-13. John 1, 11-13, John said, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why did the Jews not receive him? Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. But how did they believe in his name? Verse 18. Who were born not of blood, 
not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those that receive the testimony of Christ were they who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that you say what? That the new birth is not mediated by man. It is not something that we can cause or help to happen even when we ourselves have become spiritually alive. Okay? It is immediate, not immediate. I'm going to explain that. Both those are theological terms. The matter of regeneration is immediate, not immediate. Immediate means it is caused by God alone. It is monogistic. And that is the theological term to say God alone. You see the mono and you see the term energy in that, which means by the power of God alone is regeneration caused. And when we say immediate, that would mean that it is mediated by some other agency, by some secondary means who is not God himself. Some man, some preacher that God is using as a secondary agent. But that is not the proper understanding of what John just said. He said it is not of man, not to any degree, but wholly of God. Okay? Why? Why is this matter of God alone? Because spiritual life, that which relates to God and to Christ, cannot be communicated to a sinner by another sinner, cannot be communicated by a creature to another creature. Because life is contained only in God. God alone has life in himself. So the matter of spiritual life is an attribute or a property or a quality of God alone. And John says those who receive the testimony of Christ were born of God. Which means the spiritual birth happened before they were able to receive. Why? Because you do not give milk or a soda or a sandwich to a dead person. They must be made alive first before they can eat or drink. And if you go today, go to a mug with cornbread and chicken wings, <laughs> and a Sprite and iced tea, no one is going to take it. Go to a morgue, go to a cemetery with these things, and no one is going to take it. No matter how well they smell, how good they taste, no one is going to take it. 
It doesn't matter how long you yell, how long you plead and persuade for them to come out of their graves and grab the nice chilled iced tea unless they are not made alive they will not take it why because they're dead they are dead and dead men don't take medicine dead men don't take medicine dead men don't drink sprite let's see if i'm telling the truth about this matter because a lot of people say, oh, preacher, I hear what you're saying. I agree with you, but... No, there's no but. This is a serious matter. It's a matter of God's glory. So we have to speak it to the glory of God. Let's go to Luke 8, verse 49 to 55. Luke 8, 49 to 55. You know the story of the healing of Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. And we'll pick it up from there. Where Luke says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. So that was the physical and spiritual condition of the little girl. They understood her to be dead. Verse 54. But he put them all outside, that is Jesus, took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. What did Jesus do? He put them all aside, Peter, James, and John, and the parents. To say what? They had no contribution in the matter of the bringing of the dead to life. It was his work alone, Christ alone, with the dead girl. Christ alone must remain with the dead and talk life to them and bring them back to life. So what did Jesus do? He took the girl by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Jesus called the girl. That was a command. That was a divine command. This was no ordinary command. No Pharisee could do that. None, none of his disciples could do that. Not the parents, not the brothers and sisters, not the neighbors had such power 
of command. So the command of Jesus is called the divine command. It's a divine imperative. Little girl, arise. And then what happened? Did she say, not right now, Jesus. I'm loving this nap of the dead. (laughs) Come back next week. No, she had no choice but to arise. The divine command of this nature cannot be ignored even by the dead. It is irresistible because the word of God accomplishes exactly what it commands to be done and to be. So we also see Jesus casting the fig tree. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, the fig tree that had no figs on it. And the fig tree withered. If you still recall the story, Jesus was hungry and he would have some fruit. And he came to this fig tree that was green. It has it leaves, it, had, it was green. And Jesus found nothing on it. So why did Jesus curse it? Because the fig tree had the pretense of righteousness. As those of the law have a pretense of righteousness. They are green on the outside, but they do not have the fruit of righteousness. So, what are we saying? I'm saying words are things with Jesus. We have to know who Jesus is. Words are things with Jesus because he is the Logos. He is the word of God. It is Christ. It is the word that spoke in Genesis 1 and said, let there be light. There was a divine command and there was light. Stretch out your hand to the man who had a withered hand. It's withered, it can't move. Stretch out your hand. So in the command is the power. This is not just a command. It is a command that carries power with it. It never is empty. Stretch out your hand and the hand was stretched out. And that is say the divine command is what accomplishes things before anyone can hear. The divine command precedes all things because the power is in the command. His command. And we see with Lazarus, Jesus came where Lazarus had been buried. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. There was another irresistible command That brought Lazarus back to life. And in the gospel context, back to spiritual life. I want you to remember that the physical healings that we see recorded in the Bible, we're speaking of a greater spiritual reality of the gospel. Jesus was preaching with every one of them. And people not understanding it, they go and start their healing and deliverance ministries. That's not what that is all about. 
It's not about physical healing. It's about spiritual realities. Okay? Hear this. What about the feeding? Let's go back to Luke 8, verse 55. What about the feeding? Then the spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Jesus made two commands. Number one, command to make her alive. Number two, command to have her be given something to eat. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. There are two commands. Because that is the ordering of regeneration and gospel preaching. It is God who commands that a sinner be made alive and then and only after then the second command is to feed them with the gospel. So the preaching of the gospel is not the first divine command. It is the second command. Please understand this preachers of the gospel. Our call and duty is in the second command, not the first. We cannot command the first. We have no ability to command the first. It is not included in the giving of spiritual life. The second command is not what gives spiritual life. So it doesn't matter how well we preach. The first command must happen independently of the preacher. As a sovereign act of God. What am I saying? I'm saying gospel preaching is not what causes regeneration. A sinner is regenerated by God himself. And God does not use the gospel to regenerate them because it voids the nature of the command. He uses his own divine command to impart spiritual life. First, God uses the gospel message, the preaching of it, for feeding those that have been made alive by the command. Remember, the gospel prophets, none who are dead. God uses the preaching of the gospel to bring the regenerate to faith and repentance. So gospel regeneration is not true. Because if that were the case, every time that I preached, people will be coming to Christ. And I've been preaching for a while now, different places of the world. And I would have made a convert every time that I preached the gospel. <laughs> I did not. Also, related to this, is the matter of baptism or regeneration. And the proponents of it, baptism or regeneration, they say you are born again when you get baptized. 
like physically being dunked in water and you come out there with a spiritual life. That's also is not true. There's an implication here that I don't like by those who preach and promote gospel regeneration. They are saying God cannot grant spiritual life to a person apart from some approved preachers of the gospel. And usually it is their own approved preachers. I don't like that. I don't like, I just, I don't like to hear that. It just smells of so much human arrogance. And so the people say, so from whom did you hear the gospel? I've had this question asked me several times and I don't like I don't like to hear that question. No person hears the gospel apart from God himself. You hear the gospel from God and God alone. There's no preacher who gives you the gospel. I'm serious about this. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter 1, verse 23 says, You've been born anew, born again, not from perishable but from imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. What is that saying? Because many run to this verse to say regeneration happens by gospel preaching. The problem is they are not looking closely to what Peter was saying. How are sinners born again? How are sinners born again? Did John 1 verse 13 not say they're born of God? Did Jesus not say to Nicodemus, one must be born from above? In other words, again, born of God. So, what then is the imperishable seed? Is it not Christ? Who is the living and enduring word of God? Is it not Christ? Christ is he who is in view. As the imperishable seed. Living and enduring word of God. Who caused and causes regeneration not gospel preaching. Christ is the imperishable seed. If you were to go through the text of my writing, of my message, you're going to find some perishable things in it. <laughs> Let's see if our thinking is correct. Still in First Peter 1, 24-25. Peter says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. You see what that statement is saying? Now this is the word 
which by the gospel is preached to you. So there's a word, there's something called the word that is being preached to you by the gospel. What is that word that is being preached, that is being proclaimed by the gospel? It is Christ. Christ is the word. Christ is he whom the gospel preaches, proclaims, and so is by him that we have been begotten by God as the new creation and also in regeneration. Let us hear again from Jesus about who is the immediate cause of regeneration. Let's go to John 5, 24 to 29. John 5, 24 to 29. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. According to Jesus, the one who hears the gospel, that is, who believes, already possesses eternal life. So their hearing of it is proof of possession, not of cause. Jesus did not say, if you will believe the gospel, you shall have. He says, the one who believes has already possesses eternal life and shall not come into the judgment. Jesus did not say, the one who stops sinning shall not come into the judgment. He says, the one who believes. So the matter of not coming into the judgment is 100% about Christ himself. It's not about what a person does or does not do. The hearing of the gospel is positive proof that they shall not come into the judgment. And they already possess eternal life. Verse 25, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear. How do the dead hear? And what do the dead hear? They can only hear whose voice? The voice of the preacher? No. The dead can only hear one voice. The voice of the Son of God. The dead can only hear one voice. The voice of the Son of God. And what happens when they hear? Jesus says, and those who hear shall live. That is very clear to me. It is the voice of Christ alone that causes the dead to hear the truth. So the preaching comes to feed not the dead, but those who have been made alive by the voice of the Son of God. Those whom Christ has already spoken to and brought spiritual life to them. And I'm going to say that Unless Christ is spoken, spoken life to a dead person, we can preach 
for 100 trillion years and record 500 trillion messages and still not make a single convert. <laughs> still not make a single convert. Thus, one is not regenerated by gospel hearing. And that's going to sound controversial because people are not thinking. Israel, after the flesh, had the gospel preached to them for thousands of years, from Genesis to Exodus to Numbers to Joshua to Isaiah. The gospel is preached in all of those places. Israel did not hear it. And so the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 verse 2, Hear what the writer of Hebrews says about the experience of Israel under the Old Covenant. Hebrews 4 verse 2, For we had good news proclaimed to us just as they did. So Israel of old, they had the good news proclaimed to them. But the message they had did not do them good, did them no good. Since they did not join in with those who had it in faith. In other words, unbelief plagued them. But why? Because even though they were under gospel preaching, the manna was gospel preaching, the exodus was gospel preaching, Water from the rock, gospel preaching. The raised bronze serpent, gospel preaching. They were not regenerate. They were not born again. Israel had the gospel preached almost every day to them. But they were in unbelief. They died in unbelief. And that clearly demonstrates that it is God who alone regenerates not the hearing of the gospel. And I know that I may be going against <laughs> the theological traditions of many. But traditions of men are just that. Traditions. And I'm not persuaded by traditions of men. And I'm not here to stand to proclaim and promote the traditions of men, but the tradition of the scripture. And also, I'm not here to agree with men, with other men. I'm past that. I have to agree with God. Because that alone is what is profitable to you. Hear this from Jesus, again, still in John 5, 26. Jesus says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The Son of God has been given power, given authority to have life in himself, authority to execute judgment, 
And the hour is coming in which all those who are in the graves, all those who are dead, men and women are dead even if they are walking. They are the walking dead. Even though in this particular context, Jesus is talking about the final resurrection. Either way, it doesn't matter. When it respects the resurrection of the dead in, in regeneration or in the final resurrection, it is always the one agency. It is the voice of Christ. Doesn't matter where, wherever, whenever, there's need for the dead to be raised to life. It has to be the voice of the Son of God who does all that. Because the Son alone has been given authority to cause regeneration back to life. It is part of his job description. The giving of life, the raising of the dead, is Christ's job description given him by the Father. He doesn't share that job description with anybody else. He does it all by himself. Let's keep working again to see if I'm telling the truth. Let's go to Mark 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 2 to 9. And this is a very familiar parable, the parable of the soil or the parable of the saw. Mark 4, 2 to 9. Mark records and says, Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced Psalm 34, Psalm 60, and Psalm 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's skip verses 10 to 12 and go to Jesus' interpretation of the parable. Jesus did interpret the parable for us. So picking up from verse 13, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower saws the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. 
They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in chalk the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Psalm 34, Psalm 60, and Psalm 100. And without getting bogged down in the details of the parable, I wanted us to see this quickly in reference to our subject under discussion. The Lord identified for us the different types of soil or ground. And that is different kinds of people and their reactions or responses to the gospel when they hear it and the end of it. He also defined for us the sower as the preacher who is sowing seed, promiscuously spreading the message, and that seed being the word, which is clearly the gospel that is being preached. So the word is sown, and people hear. And so, definitely, again, I want to emphasize that this is the gospel being preached. Now, the law says of the four kinds of ground or of soil, there was one that he said was the good ground. And those that were under this banner of good ground were said to hear the word, accept, and bear fruit. They heard the word, they accepted, and they bore fruit. Pay attention to that. So the soul came with the word to a ground that Jesus said was already good. Pay attention to that because a lot of people don't pay attention to that. The ground was already good. But what made the ground good? Did the ground make itself good? Who makes the ground good for agriculture? Because this is a parable based on agriculture. It takes the farmer to make the ground good. The farmer is he or she who prepares the ground, fertilizes the ground in anticipation of the season of planting so that it is able to support the growth of new seeds and plants. Now Jesus told us that when the sower came, the ground was already made good. And that means it was not the seed that was put in the ground that made the ground good. It was not the seed. And it was not the sower either. The sower brought seed to a ground that was already good. The word was broadcasted 
not for the preparation of the ground, but because the ground was already prepared. Do not miss that point. I grew up working on the land. I know quite a bit about agriculture. Agriculture was mandatory class for four years in Zimbabwe education system. So for four years, you had to be taking an agriculture class, January to December. So the farmer of the time, especially of the time of Jesus, understood the seasons, even just by the blowing of the wind and the direction from which the wind was coming from. They understood that this wind is bringing this in the next few days, in the next week. This is what it means. If you still remember, Jesus even rebuked the Jews, saying that they knew this about the agricultural seasons. They could tell when the rain was about to fall by the blowing of the wind. But they were failing to interpret of his visitation of them. So, what does the farmer do? The farmer prepares the land ahead of time in preparation and anticipation of sowing or planting. That is proper agriculture. That is what agriculture, how agriculture is done. You always prepare the land in anticipation of sowing. You just don't prepare the land to prepare the land if you're a farmer. So he or she knows very well that in two or three weeks or four weeks, the rain is going to come down. They have studied it. They know it. In four weeks' time, the rains, the first rains should be coming for me to plant this type of seed. And the new season begins. So he prepares the ground in anticipation of sowing always. Why am I saying this? Because some will argue and say, well, there's no person who is regenerated who does not believe the gospel. Thus, regeneration must always happen simultaneously or concurrently with the gospel hearing. And I'll say that that is a necessity that has been imposed by man so that they may defend their tradition. That is not a necessity that has been imposed by God. God has no limitation as far as anything is concerned. Nothing is impossible with him. And I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, to the point that all those who are born of God, all those who have been made good ground, will in the appointed time hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 
That's going to happen. That's guaranteed. But there's no necessity that they should believe only when they are in church. Believe only when they hear the gospel from your list of approved preachers. And also, I have a question. How much gospel does one need to hear before they can be born again? But there's not a single person who is ever able, in one message, in two messages, in hundred messages, able to exhaust and present a complete gospel. We are always working bits and pieces of the message with every message. So how much truth do you have to hear before you can be born again? See the problem with that? How many seconds? How many minutes? How many hours or days should precede before a regenerated person comes to faith and repentance? That is a matter decided by God alone. It is none of our business. Regeneration may happen when someone is hearing the gospel. It may happen when they drive into church. It may happen when they're reading the Bible. What we know is when it happens, the person is going to believe the gospel. And I think preachers have elevated themselves into a space that they have not been invited This is a sovereign act of God. Jesus said, this matter is like the blowing of the wind. Right? No one controls it. It's a sovereign act of God. You see the blowing of the wind. Sometimes you only see the effect of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. Okay? So God is the farmer. He knows the seasons. He knows the elect. He knows exactly what he needs to do with each ground to prepare it for it to receive the seed. And he knows when to prepare it. So God is sovereign over the land as he is sovereign over the sower, as he is sovereign over the broadcasting of the word, the seed, as he is sovereign over the fruitfulness of it. The point is that it is God who regenerates people. It is God who prepares the ground before the sower. And if you're going to hear the gospel, God has appointed the person from whom you're going to hear the gospel. The sower, that is me as a preacher, has no power whatsoever on the ground in the manner of commanding regeneration by the words that I share, by the words that I speak. I I do not have that power. I do not help God to regenerate. God works through me to preach the gospel for the working of faith and repentance. 
Even the faith and the repentance also is given by God. It is not of my doing. Okay? And I think the point has been made clear. But I will take it another notch. Let's go to Genesis 18, 9 to 15. Genesis 18, 9 to 15. Moses writes and says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarai your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. These were the three men, the angels who came and visited Abraham and Sarah with his wife on account of the Abrahamic covenant. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And you see that the he is capitalized, the H is, in reference to the other angel who is speaking, and that would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Sarah had since passed menopause. In other words, her womb was as good as dead. In other words, she could not conceive. Sarah could not conceive at the time of the conversation. Verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, did you see that one of the angels who began to speak to Abraham and Sarah, in verse 18, suddenly we are told, And the Lord said to Abraham, so this is no ordinary angel. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no. But he did laugh. This is what I want you to see in the matter of regeneration and the gospel. At the appointed time, God said, Sarah will have a son from her own womb. So what is that saying in the matter of our discussion? We know that it is women and not men who go into menopause. And that means it was the womb of Sarah that was dead and had lost capacity to bear a child, to carry a child. It was dead. So Sarah could not conceive, not because of the importance of Abraham necessarily, 
but because of the deadness of her womb. But the angel of the Lord came and said, At the appointed time, he will come according to the time of life, and Sarah would have a son. Sarah would be made fruitful. Sarah would bear a son of her own womb, not through surrogacy. And we know that Abraham had capacity to bear a child because he had had Ishmael with Hagar. So there was no problems with Abraham bearing a child. So if Sarah would and should conceive, her womb had to be made alive because it was dead. It had to be brought back to life. But could it be made alive by the seed of Abraham? No. God had to make it alive. He had to regenerate it, bring it back to life in order for it to conceive and allow for the child to grow. If a woman is having problems with a womb, the child will not hold. So it has to be in a very good state of health. So we see then that the seed of Abraham was like the word of God. It only bears fruit in the ground that has been prepared by God. In the ground that has been made alive by God. The seed itself does not cause regeneration. But it produces seed where the womb has been made alive, has been made good. So we see then that Sarah... Sarah's womb was regenerated. It was given life, the life of a womb and capacity of a womb. At the appointed time, the angel of the Lord said, at the appointed time, this time next year, I'll come to you. (laughs) Every person who has come to Christ and shall come to Christ is going to do so in the appointed time Everybody has their version of this time next year, I'll come to you. This time next year, this time this year, there are going to be some of the elect coming to the knowledge of Christ. And next year is going to be the same the following year until the fullness of the number of the elect has come to faith. All who come to Christ, we're made alive at their own appointed times by God. Not by repeating a prayer. (laughs) Not by repeating a prayer. Not by coming to the front of the church and giving their life to Jesus. Those are all gimmicks. By God in his appointed time and not by the word preached because to say that, that would be synergism. That will be God and man helping man to be saved. Regeneration is a work of God alone. Happens at an appointed time when it pleases God. When it pleases him. As Paul said of himself in Galatians 1. Right? When it pleases God. 
who separated me from my father's womb, from my mother's womb. Right? When he pleased God and revealed his son in me. So all that is happening by the working of God. And if it is by the working of God, it means you cannot expedite regeneration like a McDonald's drive-thru order. <laughs> you cannot do that. Even though religion is in the business of trying to expedite it or cause it, it cannot happen until it's God-appointed time. And when it's God-appointed time comes, it happens by his divine command, Sean Rice. And when that has happened, suddenly Sean has this ability to hear things that he thought he was hearing before, but now he hears them differently. Okay? So regeneration is a making alive, spiritual alive, to something that was dead, and giving it ability to function in its intended purpose by the command of God. The elect were each and are each regenerated at their own appointed times, and all will have a son in the spiritual sense or picture of Sarah having Isaac. Sarah bore fruit in the person of Isaac. And all who are born of God will bear fruit to God in the knowledge of Christ. God the Father is the vine dresser. Christ is the vine. And Jesus in John 15 said, all those that are given me by the Father, they'll bear fruit. Because the Father will see to it. So what am I saying in closing? John 6.63 It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words that he speaks, the words that Christ speaks. And still in the book of John, Jesus talking to Nicodemus about the necessity of the new birth said this. Let's go to John 3. John 3, 4 to 9. We'll begin from verse 4 to 9. Nicodemus said to him, that is to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? <laughs> can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Exactly. That's a very good question that many preachers and men and women of religion still did not know who does it and the necessity of it. A man or woman must be born again for them to enter the kingdom, for them to see, to receive Christ. But how does it happen? Nicodemus thinks he has to find someone to do a reverse C-section on his mother. Like 
Oh, my mom is old now. What you are saying, Jesus, is impossible. And Jesus also wants us to see the impossibility of us causing it by ourselves in the questioning of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is stumbling for a very good reason, a good theological reason, because we have to understand that regeneration cannot happen by man. Even if it were possible for Nicodemus to be shoved back into his mother's belly, it still was not what Jesus was saying. Something bigger than just being in his mother's belly was required for him to see and enter the kingdom of God. Let's hear from Jesus. Jesus answered verse 5. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is water, even the spirit. Jesus was not speaking of water baptism as causing regeneration. He is qualifying what the water is. Water, even the spirit. Born of the spirit. Let's see if that's true. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If he meant water baptism, he would have said, and that which is born of water and the spirit is spirit. No. He defines for us what that is. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is flesh begets flesh. Like begets like. So a sinner cannot help in the begetting of a spiritual person in another sinner. Even if that sinner is redeemed and regenerated, they cannot communicate spiritual life to another person. Christ is the spiritual man from heaven. It is he who causes all these things. That which is born of the spirit alone is spirit. Verse 7 and 8, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't be surprised. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. People are looking for a moment when regeneration happens. Jesus says, no, it does not work like that. All you're going to see are the effects of it. When it happened, you're not going to know. That remains with God. That's sovereign work of God. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Unfortunately, there are too many teachers of Israel many teachers in the pulpits who do not know these things. That God alone causes regeneration so that none shall boast. Because if I were able to cause your regeneration, I would have something to boast. I caused Paul's regeneration on the 2nd of November, 2022. <laughs> Faith and repentance are the fruit of regeneration. They come because regeneration has already happened. The word 
which is gospel preaching, is not to cause regeneration, but is for the feeding and growing of the sheep. And to say then, as some preachers will say, they'll go to Romans and say, but Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that means people are regenerated by gospel preaching. No, that's not what Paul was saying. The gospel that is the power is another way to say the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, because that is what is being proclaimed as the power to save you from your sins. Okay? So that alone is the power. The cross is the power of God. The blood of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. So if anyone is not preaching the cross, they are not preaching the power of God. No matter how loud they get behind the pulpit. For some preachers who do that, right? They think if they just put a little bit more oomph, that's going to cause some spiritual understanding to go into people's heads. No, it's not going to happen that way. Okay. <laughs> but pay close attention to what I said in the summary of this message. What I would have you to understand if God will grant it. There are two divine commands in respect of the communication of salvation. And one command is little girl arise. And the second command, get a something to eat. The first command alone is Christ, and that is the command that gives spiritual life. Me and every preacher come under the command of get her something to eat. Feed my sheep. Give them something to eat. I do not cause or help anyone to be born again. Feeding the sheep and regenerating them are two different operations. They happen at two different levels. Okay? And so Paul will conclude this for us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. Let's go there too because it's a relevant passage to our teaching. Paul says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your born servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is he who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness of your sin. He did that with the old creation and he does it with the new creation. It is he who commands 
the shining of the light of the knowledge of Christ in our hearts. And with that is the regeneration. I had to go to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 28. And it will be done for sure, like for real. Now from 24. Ezekiel says from verse 24. And this is God speaking to Ezekiel. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all lands and will gather you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean waters on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. He does that. I will. Verse 26. And I will. I'm just pronouncing it that way just to put emphasis to the I will. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So God to say, he does it all. He alone causes regeneration. Praise be to God who has given us a new life in Christ, given us ability to hear, and given us faith and dependence unto his son. Okay? All right. Amen. We are done. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you for these many words that have been spoken to the matter of regeneration, who causes it, why we need it, and what happens with it. We thank you that we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has power and authority in himself to command life in us and cause us to be resurrected from the dead and also to grant us faith and repentance. Thank you for the divine commands. Thank you for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your people whom you have risen from the dead who now rejoice in this wonderful truth. We honor you, we glorify you for all truth and for all life and all blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, goodbye. Share this message because it's needful. People need to hear too many traditions of men. <laughs>